panel on RNZ National Monday afternoon. Good to be with you. We have David Slack and Cindy Michener. Just an update on the traffic here. Uh, there was a crash uh, closing the left and middle southbound lanes uh, after the Ellerslie Panmure Highway, that's State Highway 1, but all southbound lanes are now open. So that's an update for you there. Big pre-budget education announcement today from the government. Budget 2023 will fund 300 new classrooms, creating 6,600 new student spaces. Also up to four new schools, including a new school at Papamoa, one in central Auckland, the others to be announced. Targeted funding of $300 million from budget 2023 with $200 million for permanent role growth and $100 million to address shorter-term pressures on school roles. And there was quite a bit of emphasis on providing classrooms that were warm, dry and fit for purpose. Education Minister Jantanetti said, I have seen some of our ageing, damp and cold classrooms and frankly, not good enough. To discuss, we have Kyle Broughton, Rimura Intermediate School Principal and President of the Auckland Primary Principals Association. Kyle, kia ora. Kia ora, Wallace. Thanks for having me on today. Pleasure, Kyle. It's a sector that has many challenges. 300 new classrooms. Will this alleviate that pressure? Um, well, Well, yes, but what's the alternative? When you have more students coming into the system, you have to provide space for them. So it's sort of a somewhat of an underwhelming announcement in the sense that it, it was necessary <laughs> that, you know, to provide space for young people, right? Okay, so you're just keeping up. Um, what would you have liked to have seen? Uh, I mean, absolutely it has to happen, right? That's, that's, that, that's a given. What's probably more concerning, and it's certainly what we hear across Auckland, is a lot of our stock is now what we would consider end of life. Uh, it, a lot of it was built in the 50s and 60s. Um, that sort of post-war boom and it's sort of just keeping up and we've got so many stories of schools now across Auckland and I know across the country that classrooms really are just not fit for purpose. Gosh, yeah, all right, Cindy. Hi, Kyle, it's Cindy. Um, Hi, Cindy. Look, I, I actually couldn't agree with you more. I look at my notes and it's it sort of, I mean, I don't want to be mean, but it says it's like, so what? You know, you actually have to have a plan which goes, you know, looks at population growth in five years. And I would be incredibly surprised if somewhere th- this investment into the infrastructure of education is not written down and has, hasn't been written down in somewhere for the last three or four years. I mean, this to me is, you know, business as usual. This is what we should be doing. So it may be worth noting that uh, sometimes, though, the business that should have been as usual got postponed, and so there's maybe some catch-up here, which Carl maybe is implying here with some of the stuff run out to end of life. Would that be true, Carl, that, that there's, there hasn't been the input where, where, at points where it, there ought to have been? Certainly, I think that's the case uh, with some of that remedial work that should have been happening certainly for the last 15 to 20 years. Uh, there was a slight interruption, obviously, in the past few years. Yeah, right. But beyond that, you know, to be fair to this government, they did put a lot of money into that idea of uh, restoring and improving the existing stock. Yeah. Um, but really, this announcement, and even uh, the Prime Minister today spoke to this, he, they know that there are more students coming. They know that we need to provide spaces for them. 
this is just a step along that road, really. I've got a question for you, Carl, about uh, sort of slightly related to that, and I don't know if you have the information, but we, I'm, I'm aware that, you know, along with all of the leaky building um, era we've been through, a lot mm. of schools were affected by poor mm. construction uh, techniques as well, and that meant mm. that they were having to go back. Are you aware of the, the extent of that and where they sit with uh, the re, re, um, repairing it now? Uh, well, it's ongoing. Um, I mean, in my own context, we we, were, we have a designated uh, building that was considered to be leaky, and I've had, I think, six reports done on that building. Okay. Uh, so in terms of the systems uh, to address those issues, that's perhaps more of a concern than the funding itself. Mm. Uh, you know, pretty much, once you've done a couple of reports, you know there's an issue, let's get in there and start doing the work. Mm. Uh, what tends to happen is we get a report about a report about another report. Um, so there's some real challenges in the actual sector itself in terms of expediting this work and just getting the work done. Yeah, we had a uh, panellist, uh, Kyle, we have a panellist, Steve McCabe, I think he talked on air because he was a former teacher uh, in, I think, Papakura. Uh, he was saying, you know, he was actually quite shocked, continually quite shocked about the state of the building. And he said on air, what does it say to the pupils to, you know, in terms of the mana, to have mm. them come in to this really cold, dank, mouldy space day in, day out. He really painted that picture. Mm. Do you think that that can you relate to that in any way? I, well, I think it's it is an issue that you do hear about still. Yeah. To to be fair, there has been a lot of work done in that space in ensuring that we're not seeing those buildings that are absolutely horrific like we were seeing a few years back but that's not to say that they don't still exist and they're not still out there and I know in our local area we've got buildings that are literally and I'm not over dramatizing here sliding down hills uh, and yet nothing has actually been done as yet and, and that's been a known issue for a number of years and, and to your point around the, the, the manner of just education in general you know what, what does that say when we don't invest in the one thing that's going to make a fundamental difference for these young people. And you know, could, if we can, sorry. No, I was just going to say, Carl, do you, you know, what sort of pathway and access do you have? I mean, presumably you are looking at the Remuera and the surrounds and you're thinking about growth, etc. So you as the principal, how much responsibility do you have? Well, he's also the head of the Auckland Primary Prisons well, right. Association. Right, OK, so across, board, yeah. a, across all of the schools, how much responsibility does the principal have or the school itself have in terms of projecting the numbers, etc., and saying this is what we're going to need or is it, is it top down and they tell you here's what, where we think your numbers will be? Yes, the responsibility lies with the ministry. So they have a, a, a very large modelling team uh, and they're working through those projections constantly. So there are processes around looking forward and, and planning for that. And I know a lot of those plans were altered. Um, we, we sort of were on a bit of a trajectory there and then obviously with COVID things changed. One of the impacts we've seen across Auckland in particular is many of the inner city schools with the housing boom uh, pushed a lot of our young families right, right out into the outskirts. So it's, yeah, it's yeah. things like that. And so to be fair to modellers, it's a very tricky space to work in. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, second only to weather forecasting in New Zealand. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> True. Uh, David? Um, yeah, just one further question, Kyle, just uh, looking back for just a moment about on that question you had about a report on a report on a report. Uh, yes. 
how how cumbersome is this system? Is is there something about it that's just ensured and in, in, intended to ensure transparency and accountability, or is it a mess? <laughs> I'm maybe giving you two, and, I'm, and well, you need more choices. But yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, how does it work? This is ministry stuff, or uh, board of trustees. Yeah. It, it can be a combination of the two, and that doesn't help in times. You know, when you're uh-huh. starting to deal with significant projects of significant scale, and you leave that with a board of trustees, it's probably not appropriate. Um, so that's where the ministry does need to step in and they do to their credit you know and uh, the trouble is though a bit to your point about that accountability I think people are reluctant to step into some significant spending without Mm. making sure that they've got all the information that they need Right here, here's one here I work at a school that has been fighting with ministry for nine years to rebuild a leaky wing of six classrooms they have finally agreed to refurbish but our role has grown by 100 and we are desperate for classrooms and are losing those for 18 months. So, yeah, a bit of feedback I think on that. that probably the, if you were trying to capture all this in one word, is it's reactive. It's not a, uh, it certainly mm-hmm. is not a proactive system. It largely is reactive, bar new schools. When it comes mm-hmm. to new schools, that's somewhat proactive. And even then, if you look out, say, Ormiston, that was, I, top of my head, I think it was supposed to be for 650, and that's now knocking on 1,200. Good to have you on, Kyle. Kia ora. That's Kyle Brewerton, uh, president of the Auckland Primary Principals Association, also a principal, Remuera Intermediate. Gosh, it, it, just, it reminds me of uh, when I was growing up, and uh, I can recall the very cold prefabs. Oh, yes, true. Yeah. Can you recall the prefabs? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. not pretty. Freezing. Yeah. But... Well, they had a bar heater at the top. The bar by, heater behind that's the, the one. teacher. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but there is another dimension to this that I, I always have in mind, and that is that somewhere in the mid 40s, we were still in a war. They made the decision to extend second um, schooling into secondary um, stage. You know the, that it became compulsory to fifteen, and that and they made that made that available. That the the financial undertaking to do that at a time of great you know, constraint and difficulty suggests a different kind of priority, spending priority to what we have now. And, and there was such a commitment to ensuring that every kid was educated adequately and, and a willingness to spend in a, in, in a proportion that I don't think we, we have a willingness to do to right now. Uh, 19 past four. News Hub read research poll results out last night. Labour 35.9% down 2.1 points. National down 1.3 to 35.3. Now, the poll also sh- shows ACT at 10.8. Uh, Greens are 8.1 unchanged despite the issues they've had. The party Māori at 3.5% and on current polling could get five seats, which would enable it to form a government with Labour and the Greens. And when it comes to personal popularity between the two Chris's, there is a clear winner. It's not Chris Luxon. Just four months into taking office, Chris Hipkins' personal popularity as Prime Minister is at 23.4%, up 38 points. But Nationals leader Chris Luxon was down to 16.4. So why are people not warming to Chris Luxon? I thought, well, who better to ask than someone with perhaps a little inside knowledge? Liam here, uh, <laughs> sometime panellist, National Party member, all things national. Kia ora, Liam. Hello, Wallace. I'm, I'm glad you have me on. You always have me on when there's a bad National Party poll. So um, 
keep true to form. Nonetheless, nonetheless, you're here. Uh, Liam, uh, that is lower than the 18.4% that former national leader Judith Collins scored in a similar News Hub poll um, in a, before losing the 2020 election. What's the issue here? Well, I mean, it's, it does reflect on the fact that uh, Luxon hasn't been able, been able to uh, close the deal, I think, with a critical number of voters uh, yet. Um, you know, it's easy to say, well, he's a new leader, but he isn't really a new leader now. So it's fair to say that it, it is shaping up as a bit of a problem and something he's going to have to uh, sort out uh, pretty, pretty quickly. To my ears, when I see him talk, uh, Liam, he seems to be proficient. Uh, he seems to uh, generally know what he's talking about. He's got the gift of the gap. He's got an ease, does he not, um, in media? I mean, what, what are people not seeing? Well, I mean, it's, 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 it's hard to know for sure. Mm. I, I think, you know, the, the risk for Luxon has always been that he may come across as a bit of a Mitt Romney type um, and that this could be a sort of similar election dynamic to that election in the United States in 2012. Um, you know, he's a very capable, he's got a good business record, good business background. Um, in a hard election year where sort of the economies that play, that doesn't always work out to be the strength that people might assume it is. Um, but having said that, you know, uh, I would be much more concerned as a National Party supporter if, uh, if there was, if Chris Hipkins himself was, was very popular. But, um, look at 23 or so percent, uh, preferred prime minister for mm. an incumbent prime minister. That's not great. No matter what spin you put on it, um, that's not a good number either. Let's go on the panel on this, Liam. Uh, kia ora. All right, Cindy. So, Liam, if you look, at, you look at Christopher Luxon and you say, is it personal or professional? The National Party is doing better, right? So let's say that maybe it's not a professional issue, but it's a personal issue. He just, I mean, I'm a liberal conservative, you know, but he just doesn't strike me as having a lot of warmth. You know, he just, he, you know, he he is reasonably articulate and he talks about issues and all that sort of stuff. But there, there isn't, I mean, funny little Chris Hipkins, what do they call him, Chippy? He's got a little twinkle in his eye. You know, he's just seems like a warm, seems like a nicer person, a little bit more empathetic, a little bit more relatable. Stay there, yeah, Liam. Let's bring David in. Well, I've got a question for Liam, although sure. I would just um, question one thing with you, Cindy, and that is, is he that articulate, though? You know, he, <laughs> he, he grabs hold of a, um, a talking point and he just kind of labours that to death, but he does seem to struggle to evolve a, a fresh a response to a fresh question. So I wonder about that. But my, my question for Liam, you said that he needs to get some things sorted out. What are they? What are those close things that the, he would sort out? Close the loop, I think, was your words, wasn't it, Liam? Yeah, cl- close the deal. Close, close the, deal. the deal. Yeah, but what does that mean? What, what, in, speci- what in particular do you think is, is deficient here? Well, look, I mean, I think that um, uh, it's, you know, we, we focus a lot on personality politics in this country, um, and we have, we've sort of got used to having charismatic leaders and prime ministers. And we sort of sometimes overlook the fact that actually, you know, it's not always the case that the most charismatic person wins the election. You know, we, we have a proportional representation system. It's actually the party vote that matters. matters it's the only thing that actually matters. Now, I think it would be a mistake for Luxon to try to change who he is, mm. to try to be that sort of super charismatic John Key, Jacinda Ardern, or even Chris Hipkins type politician. You can't beat someone by being an inferior version of what they are. Um, 
you know, uh, I, I'm a big believer in the fact that, you know, politics is often uh, things that are beyond the control of politicians. You know, right. you have to be a little bit fatalistic about it. But I think the thing for Luxon is, is when, if the economy continues to struggle, if we don't recover like the rest of the world does, does he going to seem like a credible alternative? Yeah. Liam, can and I read something right? out to you? What's got to do? Go there's, a, there's quite a bit of a response here. Um, can I read something out to you? And I'd like to ask you, what do you make of uh, Christopher Luxon? Are you, are, you, are you starting to find his style? Before listeners start writing Luxon's obituary, they should remember the great Helen Clark, who before taking office as Prime Minister, posted miserable personal approval ratings as leader of the opposition. And she went on to become one of New Zealand's star Prime Ministers. I can recall reading a listener article about her uh, approval ratings way back then, and they were shockingly low, Liam, but... You know, the rest is history. Does do we need to give, or do you need to give Luxon time uh, oh. and find his voice? Look, I, look. I think it's one of those things, right? You can be. There are some people who are much better prime ministers than they are leaders of the opposition. And I've, I've got to say, when Luxon first became the leader, I was a sceptic. I've met him three or four times since then, and I, I quite like him personally. I quite like him as a leader. I think if he gets the chance to lead the country, he'll be a much different prime minister than he is leader of the opposition. But look, Matt, it's, a, it's neck and neck. You can't fault the guy too much. The, the election is on a knife edge. So you're not worried. They're not going to roll mm-hmm. him. We're not going to have yeah. Miss National Nikki or anything like that. There's no no rumours going around that the polls are lower than Judith and watch out. Well, you never know. The National Party's ability to shoot itself on the foot has been unparalleled in the last 10 years. Uh, sorry, uh, five years. Uh, what I can say is if that... But you, you know, though, you're an insider. <laughs> are you are you telling us that there are people no, that are look, saying, I, I roll them? I, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, there's always going to be media speculation about that. But from what I have talked to MPs, I think that that's... That's just it's not going to happen this time. I think they learned their lesson last time. Yeah, here's one. I totally agree with Cindy about Chris Luxon. I'm a national voter, but I can't take to him. He always seems slightly grumpy, and there's an underlying uh, arrogance. Is this person's view? David, final thoughts. I've got a question about his authenticity. Then, you know, do you get the feeling that, or rather, does it strike you that these numbers suggest that people are not persuaded that what he's saying is really what he's? Um, uh, invested in that he he's sim- but rather that he's simply being um, guided by some very basic talking points that are so general that they're almost meaningless. No, I don't think that's really the case. I mean, if you look at Judith Collins, for example, now I know Luxon's now had a poll that's worse than Judith Collins' best, but Judith Collins consistently polled much much weaker than than Luxon did, and she's nothing if, if not authentic, you know, in terms of. Um, just saying what she thinks. So, look, I think it's really a danger of overreading way too much to, first of all, the preferred Prime Minister poll to begin with. Sure. And second of all, a single one. It's the party vote that matters, and the party vote shows it's on a knife edge. I, yeah, I just don't think you can fault the guy too much when he's on the cusp of becoming the Prime Minister. Good to have you on the programme, Liam. Kia ora. Thank you for your time. A lot of response on this. What do you make, uh, either as a supporter or otherwise, of uh, Christopher Luxon? Uh, the problem is that Luxon talks a lot, doesn't say anything new. He does roll out the same expressions that he probably used in his business, so the general public perhaps might switch off. And I don't want to go into the hair thing. A lot of people are talking about the baldness thing, which is a ridiculous thing to say. Uh, well, that- it's not. You know, the the sort of caricature of people, the way they look is some 
something that affects how, really? you, how you think about it. Yeah, of course it is. You know, I mean, he's, you know, he has, hasn't got any... Oh, it's a very you know. pre- it's a very pre- prevalent style now. It, it makes it makes it can potentially make you disappear into a crowd. But I don't see anything more into it more in it than that. But it, I just don't think it quite suits him. You know, there's a lot. Are of, you are you saying he needs to ha- get get some sort of a wig? A wig, perhaps. I don't know. Are but there's sh- a lot of attractive bald men. You know, very attractive bald men, and I I just don't think it quite works for him. But that's just me. Yeah, I, yeah, all right. It's, it's yeah. what I'm hearing from him that perturbs sure. me a great deal more. <laughs> well, the panel, RNZ National, around the panel, I, want, I know that you want to acknowledge um, uh, one of New Zealand's leading ph- philanthropists and tireless fundraisers, Dame Rosie Horton. She passed away over the weekend. Also, one of the country's best known radio personalities, many of us would have known, David uh, Murray Muzzer Angles. Uh, aged 80, died after a battle with cancer. Oh, so I'll speak to um, um, Vale Maza first. Yeah. Um, he was a great guy. I, I got to know him in his, his latter years, and also um, uh, he was in Devonport for his last very last years before he went over to St Helia's um, doing radio in a, in a very little way at the end, but he just loved it, and he did it all his life, and, and he just lived for it. And he had this this broad beam and this this glee that he, and talking about people, and, and that, I reckon, um, uh, infused the, the work that he did on radio. And we grew up in a different time where radio stations were relatively rare, and personalities were relatively rare, and they took a, assumed a much larger huge si- proportion significance in your he life. Was a legend, and he was there, and he was great. And and uh, um, I, I'm, uh, I'm 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 glad he got eighty years. I'm sorry those last few last couple were um, a bit hard for him. And for Rosie. Yeah, well, I mean, Rosie Horton was one of the most stylish, charming, kind women that I'd have ever met. You know, I mean, and it's easy to say very, very wealthy, and so you know, you 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 can be all of those things. But she was such a supporter of charities. You know, she's a philanthropist herself, but also she did an enormous amount of hands-on charity work herself, and she always looked immaculate. You know, she used to get her hair done every morning, and I've never seen her with her hair out of place. She was a great supporter of the arts, and I understand that uh, more recently in Australia she'd been a great supporter of the Australian Indigenous art mm. industry, and it is it is a, a, a great loss to um, our philanthropic community. Remembering uh, Dame Rosemary Horton this afternoon, also Murray Muzzer. Ingalls this afternoon with our panellists David Slack and Cindy Michener. It's just gone 4.30. It's time for headlines with Marama Tepoli.